everyone that came today to church, but I also want to welcome everybody online. Um, thank you for taking time out of your day to tune in. I am like beyond excited. As I was telling the first service, um, I'm pretty laid back person. I'm an introvert. Um, I like my aloneness. I can sit in silence at home, perfectly content and fine. Pretty calm, but you give me the opportunity to talk about Jesus, and I'm like an energized bunny rabbit. You know the little energizer batteries? Because I just, I light up. I absolutely love talking about God. And um, as I was saying earlier too, I went back and I was listening to a prophetic word Pastor Brent spoke over me when I was being ordained. Um, they circle you and they speak some words over you. And one of the words Pastor Brent, and this is just, I'm saying this to explain myself. One of the words Pastor Brent, he was speaking over me and he goes, I feel like I hear the Spirit of the Lord say he's likened you unto Tigger. And I'm like, well, okay, so there's the reason why I bounce, guys, and why I move. It's like, the Spirit of the Lord's likened me unto Tigger. Um, and that's what happens when I talk about God and his love. He's so good, he's so amazing, and I have a good word for you of hope and encouragement. Um, there's so much doom and gloom in the world, but I'm here. God sent me here to tell you some wonderful, radical good news, so thank you for coming. Let's start with prayer. <sighs> Papa God, you are so good. You are so good and so radical and awesome and we love you. We're not here to play games. <laughs> We're not here to play games. We're not here to jump through hoops or go through procedures. We're just here to dwell with you on what is true, to love you and to be loved by you. Holy Spirit, we just come with open hearts, open minds, a desire, a desire, a desire to grow closer to you. Holy Spirit, come have your way in our hearts and our minds. And Lord, guard my mouth, guard my heart, guard my mind, that only um, truth comes out and only speak, Holy Spirit, what you want your dearly loved children to hear. We love you and we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you know how radical, how radical, how radical God loves you? You know, as Christians, we are so quick to say, yeah, I got it. Um, but no, we don't. We are just the tip of the iceberg. Um, and I, it, it, it's dawning on, dawning on me as I have conversations with people how people who love God still are trying to accept and grasp the magnitude of his love. I was in a conversation with a person a while back and she loves the Lord and has a wonderful history with the Lord, but she was, I could hear it in the tone of her voice, she was talking about how we were made, we were made to glorify God. And I could hear in her voice, we were made to glorify God, in other words, get busy. And watch what you do, because you're made to glorify God, and if you're doing anything contrary to glorifying God, you're out of his will. I, I, could, I could sense the, the pressure in what she was saying. And it's like, do we understand church? Do we understand people? that your very existence is glorifying God right now. Just your being, okay, apart from your doing, is bringing glory to God. Radical thinking goes against our mind shift, but see, you were designed and created in the image of God, okay? He knows you perfectly. We might be acting out of character to our identity, 
but we are created in his image. Right now, the, I believe God is bringing us into a time of awakening to who we are and who our identity is. We've been sleeping, we've been sleeping, but he's about to wake us up. Um, I've, been, I've been listening to a neuroscientist a lot this summer, and she's a Christian, a spirit-filled Christian. She um, has been studying the brain for 38 years, and what she is saying is so cool because it just backs the Bible up. She's talking about the importance of, of our thoughts and our, our words. Um, do you realize your mind is a gift God's given you? I mean, it's a beautiful gift he's given you. Your mind is your thinking, okay? It comes with um, pictures. And your thoughts go into your brain and they build substance in your brain, okay? So you have these thoughts which create energy, which builds substance in your brain. So if you have pleasant thoughts, you're building healthy substance. If you have negative thoughts, you're building negative substance, okay? The substance gets embedded in our brain and we live our life out. That's why God is pretty consistent in saying, take your thoughts captive. Pull down speculations because every thought that goes through our brain is causing energy and growing matter, okay? Don't freak out by that because he says we can take our thoughts captive. He also talks to us in the Bible about what we can think on so that we can come in alignment with his thoughts. Words really matter and that's why I picked a word today to talk about. I picked the word metanoia, which makes people scratch their head because it's like, oh, what does that mean? And um, when, when I saw it come out on Facebook, metanoia, and I thought, gosh, I probably maybe should have had a different title because people won't know what they're coming to hear. And I was visiting with Pastor Tana and uh, Pastor Brent on the phone this past week. And um, for those of you who don't know, they were the founding uh, pastors of Destiny. And I was sharing with them what I was going to be speaking on. Pastor Brent said, you should title it, It's Darn Good. And I'm like, it's too late, I titled it Metanoia. Um, but it is Metanoia and it is darn good. And so that's my message today. I, I have come to bring good news. So I'm gonna talk to you a little bit about what Metanoia is. Can we show the slide of what Metanoia is? I knew I needed to put it up there. It's a Greek word. Meta comes from together with, so I want you to think together with, Noise comes from mind or mental awareness, together with our mind and mental awareness. This word suggests a radical mind shift. It is to realize God's thoughts towards us. It's an awakening to the awareness of God's thoughts. It's to co-know with him. So it's like you don't know God or his thoughts for you and you have a aha moment. How many of you have been at home working or at work working and you cannot figure something out and you're trying and you're trying, you're putting all your effort and you can't figure it out and then all of a sudden you go, oh, it's like the light bulb goes on, aha. That is what I want you to think about when we talk about the word metanoia. It's a aha, okay? I didn't do anything to earn the aha. It is an aha that happened because my thoughts became intertwined with God's thoughts for me. Now, 
I believe God is in the midst, this is why I'm just happy and excited because I honestly believe we are in the best time ever. I know it's contrary to what people are saying. I know it's contrary to everything that you see on TV, but I am very hyped up about what God's doing because see, God wins, period. God is love, no force is more powerful than love. We are his children, he's not an absentee father. This is good things that he's about to do and we're being invited into it. But I wanna look at the word metanoia. I wanna talk about the mind shift that we're being invited into. And let's see if I brought my, yes I did. See, I think God right now is shifting some thinking and I wrote some scribbles down the other day in my quiet time with him and I'm just gonna read my scribbles to you because this is what I think. Guys, we can point our fingers at the riots. We can point our fingers at the politics. We can point our fingers at coronavirus. We can say this and this and this and this is what's wrong. But no, let me tell you what the problem is. The problem with humanity is they don't have a clue who they are. Not a clue. And they are living out of a false identity based on lies and misconceptions that we've been fed and we believe. These lies have blinded us and destroyed us from real knowledge in our relationship with God, which inhibits us from real metanoia. We have been locked in this prison of our mindset, and it's time for an awakening. It's time for a reformation. A reformation is a reforming. It's not a revival, because revivals come and go. A reformation changes things and they will no longer be the same. I think God's in the process of a reformation for those of us who want to jump on board. You see, Jesus came, and think about this. When Jesus came, um, it was radical, right? Uh, he didn't come as they planned and he didn't play by the rules that they had set up. He turned everything upside down and he was very, very offensive, very offensive to the religious mindset. He didn't do things like they thought he should. He didn't come like they thought he should come and uh, uproot and turn over Rome. Um, he healed people on the Sabbath. He um, loved people that no one else loved. He called those close to him that no one else would have thought was worthy of it. He was radical, and that's what a move of God looks like. It's radical, and I'm gonna tell you, a move of God offends the religious mindset. Um, I'm gonna read you now from someone who's very scholared. His name is Francois de Toit. Um, this gentleman knows Latin, Greek, Hebrew. He has studied and studied and studied and studied the word over his lifetime, and he has written um, the Mere Study Bible. And so he has a little history to the word metanoia. I want us to think of metanoia the way it's supposed to be thought of. So I'm gonna teach you what metanoia, it was in the original transcripts, okay? I'm not making this up. This was, metanoia was in the original transcripts. But this is what Francois says. Sadly, this word has been translated regularly as repentance which is an old English word borrowed from the Latin, which means penance. So let's pause for a minute. Metanoia, 
was translated into penance, which is an act of self-abasement, mortification, a devotion performed to show sorrow and repentance from sin. It's a penalty or a hardship to make up for an offense. Okay, so the original word was metanoia, but it got translated into penance. And then they added in front of penance, re, to get more mileage out of sin consciousness. Repentance. This gross deception led to the perverted doctrines of indulgences where naive, ignorant people were led to believe that they needed to purchase favor from an angry God. Now we could go, oh, we know we don't have to buy favor from God. I don't need to get my wallet out and give him money. But I would ask us all to check, but what are we trying to do to make up for our mistakes when we view ourselves? What are we doing? Are we wallowing in the guilt, thinking I should feel guilty? Are we doing self-abasement, telling ourselves how awful we are? What are we possibly maybe doing? English translations do little to help us understand what repentance truly is. Now hold on with me because it's a little history, but it's important. Until Jerome's Latin Vulgate translation, okay, which was about close to 400 AD, is when he translated it. But before then, the word metanoia was commonly used in scripture. For instance, as far back as 198 AD, Tertullian, who was a church father who did lots and lots and lots of writing and translation. So 198, Tertullian said, in Greek, metanoia is not a confession of sins, but a change of mind. But despite this, the Latin fathers began to translate the word as do penance, following the Roman Catholic teaching on doing penance in order to win God's favor. Now, did you catch that? The teaching, they changed the word to fit their teaching. And it was beneficial to them. But now look where we are, 2020, and we've accepted for how many years the word repentance? Now. I say it's important because the power of our mind and thoughts builds the way we live our life and what we believe. Now, back in 1430, a gentleman, a Catholic theologian came along and he was doing a study of this translation that took metanoia and turned it to repentance. And he, he said, uh-huh, no, 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 no. Not only that, um, he's made some bad mistakes and he wanted the mistakes corrected, but they said no. Isn't that the power of the crowd um, and politics? They said no, they would not change them back and they kept it repentance and would not replace it with metanoia. Says the business of religion desperately needs paying and returning customers. The entire system that trapped multitudes in the hierarchy of sin consciousness was challenged and condemned by Jesus. Sin consciousness was challenged and condemned by Jesus. In the genius of God, the Lamb of God took the sin of the world out of the equation. Isaiah 55, eight through 11 gives meaning to metanoia. Your thoughts were distanced from God's thoughts. Your thoughts were distanced from God's thoughts as the heavens are higher than the earth. But just like the rain and the snow would cancel the distance and saturate the soil to awaken the seed, so shall my word be that proceeds out of my mouth. And I'm finishing up here with this. The Greek preposition meta, together with, 
implies another influence. This is where the good news becomes so relevant, since it appeals to our conscience to reason together with the engineer of our original design, where the authentic thought, the mind of God, is realized. There's scripture where God says, come, let us reason together. This distance caused by Adam's fall compared to the distance between heaven and earth is canceled, canceled in the incarnation. Metanoia suggests a co-knowing with God. It is an intertwining of thought to agree with God about me. Metanoia, turned and changed into repentance. There is power in our words and our thoughts. Um, I believe there's an awakening and a mind shift that is taking place. And I think God is better than a lot of us give him credit for. And he's wanting to get up close and personal with us. You see, we think, well, yeah, I know God's love and I accepted God's love. But we, we sometimes act like it's a one-time thing where it's not. It's a moment by moment accepting and receiving God's love and pleasure for you. It's not a one-time thing. You know, I think of the riots that are going on. And all the hate that is being spewed back and forth between people. I'd like to say it's non-Christians. <laughs> It saddens me when it's Christians. I don't judge them though. What it shows me is they don't know God's love for them. See, because you can't hate anyone if you've encountered God's love. It's just literally impossible. What does Jesus say? He tells us to cross over to the other side. The Samaritan, the story of the Good Samaritan, the enemy, you cross over, you take care of them. When the disciples want to call down fire, he says, you don't know what kingdom I'm coming from. So when people are calling down fire on the rioters and judging and cursing them, they're not speaking the heart of Jesus. Because you know where Jesus would be in the riots? He'd be crossing over to the road and giving them a cold water. He would be listening to their story to see where is this all coming from inside of them. They don't know who they are. God's in the business of restoration. And he's restoring our thinking. So let's look at metanoia in the Bible. Where was it used? I, I can't, you know, this, get yourself a study Bible of, um, of, of the Greek and, 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 and look or get a strong um, concordance. Just study this word out because I'm only going to give you a couple examples of where it's in the Bible and shift our thinking. Bob Morgan and I did not talk about this when he planned his songs. And you know the song they said, it's the kindness of the Lord that leads to repentance? That comes out of Romans 2.4. I'm reading from the New American Standard. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that it's the kindness of the Lord that leads to repentance? But really it should say, it's the kindness of the Lord that leads to metanoia. It's the kindness of the Lord that allows a person, when they experience this kindness and love, not judgment, but kindness and love, they have the aha. They have the metanoia. They come into intertwining in their thinking with God. 
Okay? Matthew 4.17, New American Standard Version. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. But he didn't say repent. He said metanoia. It was an, it was an invitation. It's like metanoia. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's like, let's think different. Come together with me. This isn't something out in the, it's now. In fact, if you go to the verse before it, it's in verse 16, it says, the people were sitting in darkness <laughs> and they saw a great light. And to those who were sitting in the land and shadow of death upon them, a light dawned. Jesus quoted that right before he said, metanoia, the light is here. The light is here, metanoia, come into agreement with me. See, it's a radical different look at the word repentance. My desire is, because there's such power in words. You know, I think of repentance, I think of the people on the street corners with the big sign, you know, repent, or you're going to hell, turn and burn, and all of those, which makes you step away from God. It doesn't get your thinking intertwined with God and his goodness. It makes you draw back from God. You know, and I've heard some people explain repentance you know, kind of saving the word some, they'll say, well, you're going this way, and when you repent, you turn around and you go this way. Well, yes, but that still, is, that still steals the beauty of metanoia because it gives the illusion that you can be going this way and you can will yourself to go this way. Okay, but that's a self-will act. Metanoia is an agreement that you really believe what he says about you. It is a radical mind shift to understand the scandalous love. Now you could think that my message um, was for those who didn't know God's love. And I hope some are hearing that, especially online. Please send the message to someone that, uh, so they hear how radical God loves them. But I really feel my message is to us, the church. Because we get very comfortable in what we think we know and we believe. And we can be offended just like the religious leaders of the day when someone comes and rattles our boat a little bit and takes our repentance word away from us and gives us metanoia and does some things like that. We can get a little uncomfortable. But scandalous love is offensive. And I've shared this before. You've maybe heard me say... Um, if you don't do this, you might want to do this. Put a notebook next to your bed at night with a pen because sometimes you'll wake from a deep sleep and you'll have something go through your head. I believe it's the Spirit of the Lord talking to you in the middle of the night. And write it down or you'll forget it. Because um, I did this one night. I wrote this down. I woke up and this is what I had written. It's a scandalous love that does please. And I was like, whoa. See, that's what'll happen with scandalous love. It'll, it'll just make something in you just go, whoa, wait a minute. I'm having a little trouble with that. It, it pleases? It, it does please? Because no, 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 no. This is about me pleasing you, God. Ooh, not about you pleasing me. I was a little offended at that. But I knew that that didn't come from my heart. And I knew God and I were on this journey together. It was a metanoia journey on his love. It's a scandalous love that does please. His love is scandalous. I think we can say his life was offensive. I think we could all agree to that. And um, as far as the religious mind thought, um, 
it was pretty offensive. In fact, if you look the word scandalous up, it says offensive to propriety or morality. <laughs> he definitely didn't follow the rules. Um, and honestly, they questioned his morality too. Scandalous means it's shocking. So Jesus wasn't into following rules. In fact, he broke so many rules. Um, he, um, he went and he dined with the people, the quote unquote sinners. Um, he takes and blesses the woman thrown in the dirt that everyone else wants to stone. Uh, he just he healed on Sabbath. He touched people that were unclean. He was offensive to the religious thought. I believe God is going to be doing some things, and as a church, we, gotta, we get to decide if we'll be offended or not. Because I think it's gonna be this radical. I really think a reformation is coming in our thought. Just like um, 1500s Martin Luther and the reformation that came completely changed the course of church history, and the Protestant churches were birthed out of it because the Catholic church was having people pay penance uh, for the forgiveness of their sin, and they were even trying to pay for the forgiveness of their ancestors' sins too. And when Martin Luther called him on it and said, no, it's by grace, grace, that's it. Um, they tried to kill him, they tried to get him to recant what he said, he wouldn't, it was like, you know, go, go watch some of the stories on him. It was amazing, it was a reformation. I think we're in for a reformation and I think it's going to be a scandalous love re reformation. I'm gonna give you an example. Um, so many of you know, um, one of my favorite worship leaders is Chris Burns. How many of you know who Chris Burns is? Okay, if you don't, you gotta, you gotta follow him. So he's a man that's just spent a lot of time um, with God, but he, um, okay, he's got, he's involved in this crazy, wild, scandalous thing God's doing, and it's awesome. This is what God's doing in these days. This is why I'm so excited. So Chris um, was in New Orleans um, on Bourbon Street with some friends on a corner. You know, they were worshiping. He says, if you go listen to his story, there's witchcraft going on all over, and you know, people are, you know, drunk all over, and all kinds of stuff's happening, and he's got his guitar, and you know Chris, and the other people are with him, and uh, he just was hanging out there. In fact, some people started throwing money. They just thought he was some corner singer. They didn't really know who he was, but they ended up, he ended up meeting a gentleman down there in New Orleans, and this gentleman had just had an encounter with Jesus, and uh, it was a radical metanoia encounter with Jesus. Now this gentleman owned a bar on Bourbon Street, prime, 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 prime property on Bourbon Street. But his, his metanoia with Jesus was so powerful that he said to Jesus, I'll sell my bar. And Jesus said, mm -mm. no, I have use for your bar. Do not sell it, I have use for your bar. And this is the use, it ended up, he intertwined um, Chris with this gentleman, and Chris started going in twice a month into this bar. Now, first of all, you couldn't afford to rent a room on Bourbon Street because it's just way too expensive. God just like opened the door for Chris Burns to go into this bar to the upper room and have free access two nights, well, actually four nights a month, um, for worship. That was his goal, he was just gonna go in there and worship. Now, I love Jesus, I love God, I love how radical it is. This is the name of the bar. All the bars on Bourbon Street, this is the name of the bar that God put his finger on and said, right here. It's called Saints and Sinners Bar. 
So Jesus picks the saints and sinners bar. He radically converts this gentleman. He has this gentleman give the upper room to Chris Burns. Chris Burns goes in there and starts worshiping like only Chris can. And people start coming upstairs from the bar. They don't know why they're going upstairs. They're coming off the streets, they're coming up the stairs, and they're having an encounter with Jesus. <laughs> Literal encounters. You can go on YouTube, follow him, um, listen to some of his stories. Radical encounters. Well, okay, so this is the scandalous love. This is what Jesus, this is my Jesus. This is love, guys. There's a gentleman. Is this fading in and out, guys? There was a gentleman that came into the bar ends up upstairs, and they're worshiping. And the gentleman ends up falling down, weeping and crying, to the point that, um, is this okay, guys? Okay. To the point, I'll just talk louder, to the point that um, a couple other gentlemen come over to him, and they get him, and they help him outside to talk to him. And he's a mess. And in his mess, he starts confessing to them that he has trafficked children, kidnapped children. He was involved in a big, big gang that Chris wouldn't say the name of for safety reasons. And in the bar, just in worship, he had an encounter with God and metanoia, metanoia completely. He didn't say a prayer, he didn't follow a procedure or take a class, he had an encounter. And God is in the encounters. God is in the encounters. We, put, we get in our little box and we feel really comfortable and say, okay, God, I got you figured out. But no, 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 God, God's in the encounters. You know, there's laws against kidnapping, right? There's all kinds of laws against everything that gentleman was involved in. Did they change his mind? about anything of his decisions, no. I'm guessing you don't get to that point in your life without running into the law a few times, having some punishment. Um, did that change his life at all? Nope. Probably wasn't the laws, probably wasn't punishment, but it was a metanoia. It was an encounter. And I think that's what God's up to right now. He wants to have some encounters. Dr. Carolyn Leaf, the neuroscientist, I've been really following and listening and learning because she is this Christian um, neuroscientist. She can tell you what the brain is doing and it backs scripture up 100%. The power of words and the power of our thinking. We operate out of it without even knowing it because it's been so planted over time. One of my prayers has been, God, uproot, uproot, uproot every lie that is a religious seed. Blow up every box that I have put you in, destroy it. I do not want anything to hinder what is pure from your heart and pure from your love. Dr. Carolyn Leaf said, she was quoting a uh, quantum physics uh, gentleman and he was telling her how, okay, so I, let's step back a minute. We understand God's everywhere, right? We can come into agreement with that. He sees the end of the galaxies and cosmos. He's everywhere, right? He's everywhere. How can he be everywhere? Because he's an energetic force. He's everywhere. It says in the Bible, we live and we move and we have our being in Christ Jesus. Like, 
We are in Christ Jesus, so we move and live by him. It's his being that causes us to be. So God is everywhere, and we also know by the Bible God is love, right? So God is everywhere, God is love, and we have our being in Christ Jesus, right? This quantum physicist says that that love is actually energetically, they can show this scientifically, I don't understand how, love is the perfect energy, perfect energy, which we explain when you get somebody, two people together who are operating in that energy of pure love, it feels good because you're feeling the energy of that love they're carrying, God in them, they're feeling the energy of God in you, and it feels good. In fact, it's, why, it's how we're wired. And so we're, we're wired for love, but meanwhile, throughout our life, we have taken thoughts in, and they have grown in our brain, and we are operating out of things that don't correspond with love. See, this is how we're wired. We're wired for love, but we take in fear. We're wired for love, but we're anxious about this. We're wired for love, but we entertain hatred and it doesn't, it doesn't flow like it's supposed to. When our mind and therefore our body war against the purity of God's love, that's when we have anxiety, stress, fear, which leads to sickness. You're wired for love. Now, if our thoughts or the enemy of our soul can do anything to keep us from that love, he can keep us from living the abundant life Christ has called us to live. In the Song of Songs, um, for those of you who maybe don't know about Song of Songs, just briefly, um, Mike Bickle um, says that it's the book of the end times. This is the love story of all time. When the Song of Songs was read in the temple, all the priests fell down. They couldn't even stand up because the presence of God was so strong. It's a love story. It's about a Shulamite, who is us, the church, who does not think she is worthy. Um, she has seen the bridegroom, King, which is Jesus, and she loves him, but she just doesn't feel worthy. She's seeing all her darkness and not her worth, and her fear keeps her away from getting close to him. It's a beautiful story where she conquers that. But one of the, um, early in Song of Songs, the bridegroom king are Jesus, and he's saying it to us too. He says, you need to be careful of the little foxes that get in our garden of love and destroy it. And then the even better news is, he says, I'll help you. So I'm thinking, this is what we're being invited to, a time to say, okay, what are the little foxes in my garden that are destroying and hindering our love? Because we all have them, all of us have them. You see, that's what I believe right now. God's just trying to awaken us and, and show us some things that are just hindering us. Like, here's some things. Is it fear? You know, are you afraid to draw really super close to God? Um, do you think that maybe he's gonna talk to you about the things you've done wrong? Is it a misunderstanding of his nature? Do you think that he's possibly angry at you about something? Is it shame for something that you've done or guilt? Or do you just really not believe in yourself enough that you really are radically loved by God? Is it 
pride, which for us in church, a lot of times can become a religious pride. I know it. I already know this stuff. Um, do you think you owe him something? Like, you must pay him back. I mean, look what I did, God. I owe you something. Do you have a self-abasement mindset? Like, I have to pay some kind of penalty. You can't just love me. But you see, if you think you have something Jesus needs, if you think you have something that Jesus needs, then you are highly, highly mistaken. And you will be driven to provide whatever you think he needs or how to figure out what he needs. See, Jesus is a good shepherd and he leads. He leads you to green pastures. He's good, he leads you. He's not a cattle herder who's gonna drive you. Whenever you feel driven, it's a flag that that is not God. God doesn't need anything from you, but he desires your friendship. He desires your relationship. We can go around as Christians (sighs) and uh, we can talk to people about, you need to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. You need to surrender that, whatever, alcohol. You need to surrender those cigarettes. You need to surrender this. And we can go around wagging our little religious finger, telling them what they need to surrender. But can I tell you what you really need to surrender? And it's much harder. See, it's really easy. I can self-will myself to do some of these things. But what he really wants you to surrender are your fears, your misunderstandings. Could you possibly come before him and go, well, God, this is what I believe. What's truth? Could you surrender your shame? Could you surrender your guilt to him? Your self-righteousness? Your self-abasement? Your pride? See, the real surrender is all the gunk, the foxes that are robbing from your vineyard of love because all of those foxes are not allowing you to come into metanoia. The real surrender is a humbling. It's a humbling to come before him and allow him to love us. I have some what ifs, just to shake us up a little bit. I'm not gonna give you the answers. (laughs) These are wonderful things I've been pondering with God for a couple years now. I'm just gonna put them out there and let you think about them for a minute. What if your purpose I have a friend, well actually my a beautiful friend, who um, we were talking about the book Purpose Driven Life and I went, oh I read that, been there, done that. I used to read all the books way back when Purpose Driven Life came out. But now when you say Purpose Driven Life to me and everything in me goes, oh. None of that seems to go with Jesus. Purpose Driven Life, okay? God is a shepherd. He's not driving us, he invites us. He leads us. Um, Purpose, purpose, purpose. Like, oh oh my goodness, I gotta figure out what my purpose is. What's my purpose? Oh, I gotta figure that out. Purpose-driven life does not seem like the Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's, 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 It's man trying to figure out how to please God. But what if, what if your purpose was to be loved and enjoyed by God and to love and let him love and enjoy you? and you love and enjoy him. So let me say that again, because we just can't imagine he just wants to enjoy life with us. 
What if your purpose is for God to enjoy you and to love you? And you to enjoy him and to love him. What if he truly, actually really wants just a relationship? He's not looking for busy worker ants to be running around. That's scary because there's so much work that needs done. Let me tell you, when you set at his feet and you let him enjoy you and you enjoy him, more gets accomplished in 10 minutes of time than a lifetime of trying to please him. What if the gospel really is the good news that we say it is? What if it's not like half good news and it's partial good news, it's a little good news. What if it really is the good news? Why do they call it the good news? What if Jesus really meant what he said when he said, it is finished? Did he only partially finish some stuff? What if the blood of Jesus, the last Adam, God incarnate, see now we ought to remember that. Jesus was God in human flesh. It is not good cop, bad cop. It's not Jesus stepping in the way of an angry God to keep us, him away from us. He is God in flesh. What if the blood of Jesus, the last Adam, God incarnate, was truly more powerful than the choice of the first Adam? What if it was like even just as powerful? What if the creator of the cosmos, the sustainer of all life, all powerful, omniscient God, doesn't need anything from you, but he just desires your companionship? What if he did not come to judge you or the world or condemn it? John 3, 17. What if Jesus really is God in the flesh and he is showing the pure, radical, scandalous love for the world? What if love really did win already and we just get to come into agreement with it? What do you really believe about God? If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. Your, this is a Graham Cook quote. Your thoughts about God are the most important thoughts you will ever have because they will lead to your life or your death. And I say that you're how you're gonna live life out. Are you gonna live it out in agreement, metanoia? Are you gonna radiate with the frequency of love? Are you gonna live it out over here, opposite, outside of love, trying to figure and do, out, do life on your own? Sometimes people are so afraid that this is like too good. Like this is just too good. But I have to challenge you, if it's not good, then it's not the good news. And I have to challenge you to start reading Bible a little bit different. And every time you see that word repentance from now on, I hope you stop and you step back and you go, okay, Jesus. Let's look at this verse differently. Let's look at it through the eyes of, you just want me to come in agreement that it's finished and done, and what does that mean? See, so many people are afraid of his goodness that it's too good, because see, we are trying to make God in our image instead of realizing we were made in his image. 
See, our justice is punitive, his justice is restorative. We automatically think punishment. Think of Isaiah 55. Your thoughts are not my thoughts, he said. Your thoughts and your ways are not my ways. It's hard for us to think out of the little boxes we put him in. But I'm going to tell you, before God, well, I'm, I'm not even going to put that condition on him because that's not true. I think as a church, he sees our hearts. He sees how much, he sees us. He sees our desire for truth. He sees our hearts. He knows and he's inviting and he's beckoning us to come along on a journey with him. But I think just like the Reformation with Martin Luther and just like when Jesus came, this is gonna be a choice for the church because he's gonna have his way. And if he's gonna meet, he'll meet people in bars. Contrary to any message spoken, he's gonna meet people, he's gonna go out and he's gonna do scandalous love and will we be part of his scandalous love? Can we be part of his scandalous love? I say the only way we can be part of his scandalous love is if we surrender our religious ideology, we surrender what we think we know about love, and we come and humble ourselves to be a receiver. See, we think, okay, I'm a Christian, I gotta go do, I gotta go give, I gotta serve you, God, I gotta, 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 gotta. What if it begins at his feet? I shared this morning an encounter I had, which until today, and now I, lots of you guys know this encounter, until today only a small handful of my friends knew this, because it was a really powerful personal encounter. But I'm gonna share it because it demonstrates what happens when God puts his finger on you. So it was in my journey when he was teaching me about this love, and, and guys, I'm only tasting the tip of it, but it is so good. His love is so good. So I'm sitting at my kitchen table one morning in my quiet time. If you do not have a quiet time or just a time, it is, it is the best thing you can do is to give him just some time because he wants to speak to you. He really does. And if you don't have a journal, it is the best thing to get a journal because he's gonna tell you things that are going to wreck you. And if you don't write them down, Instead of putting those thoughts in your mind, you're gonna keep being programmed out the lies that have already been programmed. So have a journal, have a quiet time, but I was sitting with him and um, I'm in my kitchen chair and this has only happened a few times when I just felt just this heaviness on me and I felt like he wanted me to turn my chair to the side. I had swiveling chair. You know, it's just me, I don't, but I'm feeling like turn your chair. So I turned my chair, and in a flash, I saw Jesus at my feet. And he was washing them. But I said, no, 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 no. And to this day, it still wrecks me to see Jesus washing my feet. I felt exactly what Peter must have felt. When he put his finger on me to do an act of love like that to me, it exposed in me that I didn't feel worthy. It also exposed in me that I had this sense of, no, I need to do for you. This isn't about you doing for me, Jesus. It's me doing for you. What an upside down, twisted, self-righteous attitude that is. 
So I sat there and I allowed him to do it. And I cried and I wept and I wept and I wept because see, that's what an encounter with his love does. You cannot encounter God's love and not love him more intensely than before that encounter. I can't have an encounter like that where he's washing my feet and go out and hate my brother. It's impossible. The church needs to have the encounters of allowing Jesus to wash their feet. It's a humbling. You are worthy. You are worthy of it. You are worthy. I'm going to read a little bit from um, the Bible where it talks about the story. It says, all, through our, all throughout his time with his disciples, Jesus had demonstrated a deep and tender love for them. And now he longed, he longed to show them the full measure of his love. Before the evening meal had begun, the accuser had already planted betrayal in the heart of Judas, the son of Simon. Now Jesus was fully aware that the Father had placed all things under his control, for he had come from God and was about to go back to be with him. So he got up from the meal and took off his outer robe, and he took a towel and he wrapped it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' dirty feet and dry them with his towel. He took the position of a servant. He knew who he was, but he took the position of a servant. But when Jesus got to Simon Peter, he objected and said, I can't let you wash my feet. You're my Lord. Jesus replied, you don't understand yet the meaning of what I'm doing, but soon it'll be clear to you. Peter said to Jesus, you'll never wash my dirty feet, never. But Peter, if you don't allow me to wash your feet, Jesus responded, then you will not be able to share life with me. Of course, Peter woke up and said, oh, wash all of me, hands, hands, feet, everything. <laughs> Jesus is life. He is love incarnate. If you don't let him wash your feet, how are you going to share his life? story goes on to say, you know, Jesus says, now you go and do these things. And see, this is where we pick up as Christians. Okay, we go do these things. Okay, that's where I start. But the starting place is sitting and letting him love you. Humbling yourself to letting him serve you. Oh my gosh, that just went against every grain in me that he's going to serve me. No, no, no. Oh, it's so upside down. It ends, the story saying, so now put into practice what I've done for you and you will experience a life of happiness enriched with untold blessing. Now put into practice what I've done, but it starts with the washing of the feet. Will you let him wash away wrong ideas you have about him? Wrong ideas you have about yourself? You are perfect without flaw. The battles and struggle you have aren't because you aren't perfect, it's because you have planted lies in your head and you're believing them, but you're being wakened up to come into an, a metanoia encounter. It is my passion for all of us, and as I said, guys, I'm just, 
I don't have this, but what I have encountered when he washes my feet in different times with him is this is so good. It is so radical. He just loves to be with you. As I was sharing examples earlier, it's like Lyle loves fishing. Guess who loves to go fishing with him? Yes. I'm like, just Jesus is in the boat with Lyle fishing. Jesus loves painting. Jesus loves walks. Jesus loves sitting on your couch with you. He just loves you. Can, you. can you accept it? Can you accept it? Would you let him wash your feet today if he were to show up here? Would you let him? I uh, set this up so that we're going to have a song here play at the end. And this is, I say my invitation, but it's really not my invitation. Honestly, this is Holy Spirit's invitation right now. This is God our Father, Jesus our Savior, and Holy Spirit our counselor, our guide, our teacher, our friend, right now wanting to have an encounter with you. And they're wanting you to step in and surrender what you think you know and lay it at his feet and let him love you. Possibly let him wash your feet. Possibly go on a walk with him. Possibly sit on a bench with him. But this is the thing. God has given us the gift of our mind and it's a beautiful gift, though it sometimes doesn't come into agreement with him, but it's a gift. He even tells us to take our thoughts captive and pull down speculations, right? He even says what to think on, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, anything of excellent rapport or praiseworthy, think of these things. Your mind is a gift. It is a beautiful gift. Some people are afraid of their mind, like they're afraid to sit and be quiet with Jesus and, and, and use their mind to think on Jesus, but it's what you're invited to do. Okay, your mind's thinking a million thoughts at a time. He's just saying, come, let's, let's come think on some good things. Can you just let him love you and enjoy you today and throughout your life? Can you humble yourself and let him hug you and wash your feet? It's a scandalous love. And if it doesn't make you take your breath away from you, I should say, then it's possibly not his scandalous love. I'm going to just pray over us. Papa God, I just thank you for your hand how it moves, how it touches, how it invites, how it holds. I thank you for taking your hands and embracing our face and drawing us close, inviting us to enter in. Thank you for your kisses. Thank you that you're bigger than we can imagine. We say yes, we want to come and have our thoughts intertwined with your thoughts for us. We want you to to uproot anything that's hindering us, any foxes in our garden. We come to just drink the purity of your love, Lord God. You are so beautiful. You are so worthy. We love you so much. I pray over all my brothers and sisters listening online or here that they will have an encounter, 
with your metanoia that they will come, they'll come deeper into an understanding of who they are. Lord, we love you. We bless your name. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. And I just want to say, um, you know, we usually end with an invitation. Um, and this is going to sound a little different. Um, because I just want you to know. See, I used to go into the jail and minister to the women. And when I first started doing it, it's like, well, I don't know. I don't want to miss any part of the salvation prayer, you know, because this is important stuff. But I want to tell you that that gentleman in the bar had an encounter. Nobody had to introduce him to Jesus. He had an encounter. It's not a magic prayer, though I have nothing against that prayer because I think the prayer is beautiful and it's a landmarker for a lot of us to say, this day I changed my mind. But know that right now God was holding your heart in his hands during that song and he knew every thought and every attitude of your heart. And I believe out there somewhere there was some surrendering of hearts in that moment and some re-surrendering of hearts in that moment. And if you did that, if you did that, if you entered in, if you welcomed his love and you never even knew it, and it was the very first time, um, I'd ask you to contact us if you're here in the church to come forward so we can pray over you. If not, contact us, follow the links that Pastor Derek puts on. Let us know because it is a beautiful thing and we would love to pray for you and just bless you on this journey and provide for you anything you need because God's in the business of love. So everybody, thank you for listening. I do appreciate it. Um, remember to taste and see the Lord's good and go let Jesus enjoy you today. Goodbye. <laughs>